Okay, we are in the book of Revelation, and we are starting um, in Revelation 20 um, today. And so, um, Steve has already read uh, Revelation 20, uh, verses 1 to 10, and we are looking at what is classically referred to as the millennium. Okay, and does anybody know why it's referred to as the millennium? Because there's a thousand years. That's amazing, yes. And so, um, the last two weeks, we looked at the, um, the tale of two suppers, we considered um, the, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then we considered the... the say again? Sure, you can do that. Um, and, and then we considered the carnage supper of the great God. And so, in the marriage supper of the Lamb, what we saw was the, the, really the culmination of our hope. And that is that the time when we are in Christ's presence, that we are His bride, and, and there's this great rejoicing in heaven. What a, a phenomenal time. And then we come... We saw at the end of chapter 19, we come with him um, on horses, if you would, um, from the clouds when Jesus Christ will um, crush the, the, the nations in their revolt at the end of the, the final week of Daniel's um, 70 weeks, if you remember that. Excuse me. And so, so that's when Christ comes on his white steed and uh, with a sword proceeding out of his mouth, and he, he has that ultimate victory. Now, from that, we're going to move into then chapter um, 20, where now that Christ has this victory, he sets up his kingdom. And we will be with him in that kingdom. And we saw, as we came through here in chapter 20, that there were three phases. Hopefully you saw that as we came through. First of all, there's the binding or the detention of Satan. Okay? Secondly, there is the dominion of Christ, his reign on the earth. And then, after the thousand years, there is going to be this time when Satan is what? Released to do what? To deceive the nations, the deception of the nations. And so we're going to be looking at then the detention of Satan, the dominion of Christ, and the deception of the nations. But in each of these, there is something that's going to go on, and that is the detention of Satan for 1,000 years. There's going to be the dominion of Christ for... 1,000 years, and there's going to be the deception of the nations after 1,000 years, okay? And we'll talk about this uh, in just a moment. moment. But as we look at this detention of of Satan, it's kind of an interesting thing, because here we have this angel that is sent down from heaven who has a great chain, and he takes the, the serpent, who is Satan, and he binds him, and he throws him into where? The, the abyss, the bottomless pit. And so we look at the, the location of this d- detainment, where he's going to be detained. And he's going to be detained in the abyss. The abyss, this bottomless pit. Now, this is an interesting term in Scripture, because this is the place that has been decreed for them. And what's inter- fun about this is that Satan knows it. The demons know this. Before this event ever occurs, they know it's going to happen. If we look at Luke chapter 8, 28 to 33, and I put this one up here for us to look at together. But in Luke 28, or Luke 8, beginning at verse 28, it says, When he saw Jesus, that is the demoniac from the Gadarenes, okay? When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus then asked him, saying, 
what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him, and they begged him that, they would, that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that they would permit him, that he would permit them to enter into them, and he permitted them. The demons then went out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. Now, you'll note then there's this, this concept of the abyss. So when Jesus first went there, I didn't put this part of it, but when Jesus goes there, well, I did at the very beginning, they say what? What have we to do with thee? Jesus who? Son of God. What do these demons recognize? They, they, yeah, they, they recognize the deity of Christ. They know exactly who he is. Isn't this interesting? Everybody else is wondering, who is this man? But in the spiritual realm, immediately, I mean, now the, the, the demoniac, the man from the Gadarenes, he didn't know. I mean, the guy in the tombs, he didn't have this knowledge. But the demons who were filling him, who were dwelling in him, knew exactly who Jesus was. The ones who were demonizing him. Right? So Jesus come and they cry out through this guy, what are we to do with you? Did you come to do what? Send us to the abyss. And so they don't send us to the what? They're, they're pleading with them. Don't send us into the abyss. They know. They know. In Faust, in, um, I think it's in Matthew. I may be wrong. It may be Mark. But I think it's Matthew. Says about, they ask about, don't send, are you, are you going to send us in before our time? They know. They know it's going to happen. And so Jesus, they, they ask them, well, can you at least send us into the pigs? You know, there's a, there's a herd of pigs up there. Can, you, can, can, we, can we go and, and dwell pigs? Now, think about this. Now, this is a side subject. I know we're talking about the millennium, but this is a little side thing. So, we always worry about whether can demons in, uh, inhabit humans. The real question is, can demons inhabit animals too? Well, clearly what? They did. Okay? And so they go into this herd of swine, and what do the swine do? They ran into the abyss. That's exactly right, Andrew. They ran into the abyss. You say, I didn't say that. It says they ran into the lake. Well, to the Jews, the Jews understood that the Sea of Galilee, which is where they were, was a picture of the abyss. And so that's why all the fear about drowning, you know, they don't want to drown in the middle of the lake, because for them, for the Jews, this was like, I don't say superstition, but it was kind of the picture of the abyss. You know, you, you, you drown and you go into nothingness, you know? And so the picture was happening here for Jewish understanding, and there were Jews watching this, right? Is that the demons say, oh, we don't want to go into the abyss, but what do they do the minute they go into swine? They throw themselves into the abyss. Isn't that interesting? Okay? Now, we're going to come back to this destructive nature toward the end of the message. Okay? But just kind of keep that in your, in your mind there. Okay? And so, so that's, where they, that's where they go. They're detained into the abyss. But secondly, they're going to be detained, or Satan is going to be detained for 1,000 years. Now, in the first seven verses of this chapter... Okay, you go look at this. Okay, this is one of these. When you're studying God's word, okay, one of these tools of study, you want to be inductive in your studies. You want to find out um, words that are used repetitively, so that you can understand what 
might be being taught. Okay? What, what term is being used repetitively in those first seven verses? 1,000 years. How many times is it used? Uh-uh. Nope. Six. Six times in seven verses, we're told that this is a period of 1,000 years. Now, first it says, the first time it's used, it says about 8,000 for 8,000 years, but the next time it says it's the 1,000 years, then it's a 1,000 years, then it's the 1,000 years. It's a specific time. It is, it is not a generic time. Now, I'm making a big deal about this because it is amazing to me how many people don't want to believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. They say they're literalists, but they're not. If God wanted us to be just an abstract amount of time, he could have an abstract amount of time. Now, this is a big deal to me, because in Genesis chapter 1, I believe that God created heavens and the earth in what? Six literal 24-hour days. Why do I believe that? Because God said so. Because God said on day one, then there was an evening, there was a morning, the first day, right? So he talks about day one, he talks about an evening morning, he defines it, and, and, and so it I don't know how much more clear God can be that these are six 24 hours a day, right? But Christendom today, if you believe that, you are a minority. If you believe in a literal interpretation of Genesis 1, you really are a minority, even in Christendom. That's why Answers in Genesis is such a a huge ministry of trying to bring people back to, because we have been inundated by the world, and the teachings of the world, and that is evolution, and so we we try to... um, syncretize the, the teaching of God's word with the science of man. And so instead of saying it's 24-hour days, we believe then, we don't believe, but the Christendom will say, we believe in six periods of creation, right? We just believe that each of those periods are what? Millions of years. We are undefined. They're, they're epics. They're eons. We're not quite sure, you know, how all this happens. And so they blend evolution with creation together. And it cannot be so. Why? First of all, because you can't have death before sin. Either that or the Bible's what? Wrong. It's a lie. Okay? So, I mean, literally, if you just read Genesis 1 literally, you read that God created the heavens and the earth in six 24-hour days, and that there was a seventh 24-hour day that he what? He rested. Now, that's the origins, right? That's the beginnings. Now you come all the way through the Bible to the, to the end. Eschatology. What do people like to do again? They like to spiritualize it, figurativize it, allegorize it, and everything else they can symbolize it so that it doesn't mean a literal thing. Now, I've got a, I've got a struggle with Bible interpreters and Bible teachers who, who allegorize, figurativize, and spiritualize the creation, in other words, they don't take it literal. And they don't take the end literal. If I disagree with somebody in the beginning and I disagree with somebody in the end, I've got to be careful about what? Everything in between. That's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's one of these mirrorisms things. This is an English term. You know, we're, we talked about this before. Praise ye the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. That means from all day. In between, right? So if I don't agree with somebody here and I don't agree with somebody there, I've got to be careful of everything in between. And there are some big names, folks, 
who don't believe in a literal creation the way we believe it and who don't believe in a little millennium as God declares it. Six times in seven verses, God says that there's going to be what? 1,000 years. Now, many would say, well, wait a second. If you take this literally, then you've got to believe literally that there's an angel with a literal chain who's going to literally bind Satan literally and throw him into a literal abyss. And I said, what's the problem with that? They said, well, it's a spiritual being. He's going to bind a spiritual being with chains? Maybe they're spiritual, spiritual chains. <laughs> and so, anyways, who knows? I mean, the, the point is, that's, it's not for me to debate all that. Do you get it? The point is, can I, though, have a figurative sense even within the midst of literal? And the answer is yes. In John chapter 6, Jesus is talking literally to the, to the Jews, right? And he's talking about being the, the manna, right? Because they said, Moses gave us what? Manna in the wilderness. What are you giving us? And Jesus says to them, he says, I am the bread of life, Right? Unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have what? No part from me. No part with me. Now, literally, I translate that chapter, and I understand that the manna is what? Literal. It wasn't spiritual. It's literal, because it was really literally there. But I understand that what Jesus says, eat of my body and drink of my blood, he's really not asking them to come up with a fork and a knife. And... and, and Start cutting off chunks and, and to, to, to insert the, uh, the, the little needle into the vein with a, with a straw on the end of the tube so that people can drink of his blood. What is he giving? A word picture. But he's giving a word picture. Do you, do you get it? It's figurative. It's to be understood figuratively. But here in the midst of this literal passage, I have a literal and a figurative sitting right next to each other. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Okay. Is there a problem coming through the book of Revelation with having literal and figurative? The answer is no. Again, it goes all the way back to the beginning when we we started this whole thing. I believe in literal interpretation of the Bible. And so as we come through the book of Revelation, I understand everything literally unless there is a what? Clear indicator that it is a what? It's a picture. It's a word picture. Okay, And we've talked about that as we've gone through the seals, as we've gone through the trumpets. You know, that... A lot of this, you know, we try to analyze and say, what could this be? Well, I think they're literal, but I think they're ways that John had to what? To describe it to, in his own understanding. And so it doesn't mean that they're all spiritualized. It doesn't mean that we allegorize them. It means that we understand them literally and that we're just waiting to see what the ultimate fulfillment is going to what? Look like in, in, our, in our day. And so we have this thousand years. And so um, just, it's, a, it's a big deal to me. Uh, it really is, in this literal interpretation. I hope you figured that one out, that it's a big deal. Anyways, but it should be a big deal to you, too. Okay? And I just want to encourage you that as you read some of these people's writings and listen to them on the web and, and their devotionals, I mean, some big names. Um, you can ask me later. And Anyways, if you're on Facebook and you saw my posting this week, you probably already know one of those names. Um, so, I just... It's just an amazing thing. So anyways, the detention of Satan. Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years. Okay, So he's, he's not going to be allowed to, to do his satanic work for 1,000 years, which is going to be a great time, because that's going to open up then, um, not just the dominion of Christ, but as Christ reigns, the, the rest of what's going to go on here. Now what's fun about this is that there was an anticipation for this moment. Throughout the scriptures, starting again all the way in the book of 
Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, we read, um, in the curse to, on Satan, okay, on the curse on the serpent, okay, on that dragon, it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your heel, or your, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Literally, it's, he's going to crush your head. You're going you're to nip at his feet, you're going to nip at his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And that's exactly what we see happening right now. But we're also told, um, in, in Micah 4, let's turn there, Micah 4, verses 1 to 4, about this coming again. There are other verses that we have as well on your sermon note sheets that we're not going to go to. You can look at them later. But in Micah, that is before Nahum. Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Okay, Micah 4, first four verses. It says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of Yahweh's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above all the hills, and the people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, out of Zion, the law shall go forth, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of Yahweh has, of the, for the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Yahweh Shabbat has spoken it. Now, who does Micah say is going to be reigning on the earth? Who are they going to come to, for, to be the judge? The mountain of, but who's going to be there at the mountain of the house of the Lord? God himself. God himself. Yahweh. God, God himself. Yahweh's going to be there. And it's, verse 3 says, He shall judge between many peoples. And so this anticipation coming toward um, that... God was going to reign on the earth. We talked about this a little bit last week as well. What an exciting thing. And turn now to, to the book of Zechariah. Okay? That's toward the end of the book of the, the Old Testament. Okay? Zechariah chapter 14. We read this again um, a couple weeks ago. Zechariah 14, verse 16. It says, It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king. And who is the king? Yahweh Shabbat, the Lord of hosts. Isn't that neat? And keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall come, and it shall be, that whichever of the families of the earth do not come to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of, the, of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This is interesting because the feasts, again, are prophetic. We've talked about this over the years numerous times in that the Feast of Tabernacles is, is the prophetic look toward this time when God is going to reign on the earth. Now, there was already a partial fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. Anybody know when it was? When Jesus came. We're told that the Word became flesh and tabernacled, dwelt among us. But the Word means to tent, to, to, to tabernacle. He tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory. 
and that word is chabod, and that, that picture is that they use is of the, um, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And that was always referred to as the tabernacle and glory of God, the Shekinah glory, or the Shekinah abode. And so Jesus, we're told, the word, God himself, is the Shekinah abode. He is the indwelling, he is the tabernacle and glory of God. And so when he comes and reigns for the thousand years, he is the very presence, he is the very fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. And so once a year, there is going to be this feast, this, this eight-day celebration, where all the nations are going to be required to come to Jerusalem. If they don't come, no rain. He's going to roll with a rod of iron. Kind of fun stuff. We'll talk about his, his administration in just a moment. But, so there's this great anticipation of, of Christ's reign, of, of Messiah, Mashiach, coming to the earth and, and reigning on the earth for a thousand years. But we see that in this dominion of Christ, the atmosphere of Christ's reign. What do we know the first thing about is going to happen in, in Christ's reign? Anybody know? What's the first thing? This is pretty bad, guys. It's right there on the wall in front of you. It'll be a time when the nations are at peace. Yes! What a, the atmosphere. The nations are going to be at peace. Now, what's fun about this is you see this, not the, the, the actual literal of this, but the, the deceptive part of this going on right now. This United Nations thing, this, this we're looking for, the world is looking for somebody physically to come to the earth and bring world peace. That's why we're looking at this new world order. And it is that which Satan is going to use to, to set up his throne. As we, we've, we've talked about this as we've gone through the book of Revelation. And so, Satan sets up a guy called the Antichrist. The Antichristos. Okay? Many times we think of that being against Christ. Okay? But the word anti originally in the Greek means in place of. Now that derives to be against because if you're trying to supplant, trying to be in place of somebody, that means you are what? Against the original. Okay? But the idea of it is that there is the, the real, realism that he is going to try to look like Christ. Okay? And so with, the, with Satan, you've got the, the false trinity. Do you ever think about that? You've got Satan, you've got the, the beast, and you've got the false prophet. Okay, you got the Antichrist, the false prophet, and, and the beast. And so, you got the, the false trinity that's going on. Well, what is Satan going to do? He's going to seek to set up his false millennium. His own world reign. And so, but this true one is going to be a time which we already saw in, in, in Micah, as well as it's stated in Isaiah chapter 2, that the nations are going to be at peace with one another. They're going to, they're going to beat their swords into... Plowshares. What's a plowshare? It's like a sickle. Okay, it's it's for it's a farming instrument. Is the idea. In other words, we're not going to be worrying about war. We're going to be worrying about food and tilling the earth and and enjoying the the, the labor of our hands. And so, secondly, it's going to be a time when nature is at peace. When nature is at peace. Now, 
Again, this goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. Okay? It's amazing to me how many things you know, God has placed prophetically for later fulfillment. And we talked about this back in March when we took the, um, the little um, hiatus and talked about biblical prophecy. God created the earth for six days. In the seventh day, he rested. In the book of Exodus, chapter 20, turn back there with me, okay? Exodus 20. In the midst of the, um, the ten words of the covenant, or what we refer to as the ten commandments, we're told about the fourth commandment, and that is the, the commandment regarding to remember the Shabbat, the Sabbath day, to keep it holy or set apart, okay? So you there? Okay, so we read, beginning in verse 8, says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Shabbat of Yahweh to your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Now, verse 11 says what? For in six days God created the heavens and the earth, right? What's, what, what doesn't belong? The word in doesn't belong. Notice it's in the Talises. That means it's not in the Hebrew. That means that the, the Hebrew translator interpreted it at this moment and decided that it, must, it needed to be in there. But literally what it says in the Hebrews, Hebrew is, for six days God created the heavens and the earth and the seventh day to rest. In Barnabas, and I, under, I didn't know this before I came to this conclusion years ago. I was teaching this once in church and um, Barrett Bowden actually had read Barnabas's epistle to the Ephesians, and he came up and said, have you been reading Barnabas? And I said, no, but I have it. I think I have it in my, there, and so I can show you that actually Barnabas wrote this as well in his letter to the Ephesians, that this is a picture of God's working in the world, that the world would toil for 6,000 years, because a day is like 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is like a day. And that the earth would toil for 6,000 6, years, six 1,000-year periods, and then the, you would have the seventh 1,000-year, which would be the period of rest, the period of peace. And so, if that's the case, if it's, and I believe it is, I think that's the creation itself, that God created it the way it is, to set us a pattern for our, our, our weekly work, and our weekly work is a picture as well of his created order of time. And so, again, literal, 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 literal. And this is why it's so important when you get it determined. Because if everything is allegory, then you decide what it means, right? I mean, it doesn't mean anything. So you, you just say, oh, I think it's a picture of this. And so truth becomes what? Relative. Subjective, but relative. It's relative truth. It, it's according to you, right? I mean, so these, these are all word pictures. So really, I mean... The, the fact that Jesus died on the cross, he really didn't die on the cross. That's just a picture, a picture of sacrifice. You know, and, and he, he really didn't raise from the dead. That's just a what? It's just a picture of victory. You know, and you all look at me with these blank stares. That's exactly right. I mean, I mean if, if you're going to start to allegorize God's word and you become the determiner of what is allegory and what is literal, you become God in a sense, really. I mean, you decide. And so I'd rather have God decide and, and, and take God for what he said. Well, very clearly here, literally, God said that he created heavens and earth for six days and the seventh day to rest. And so, so there's a picture here of even creation of being at peace. And so we know from Romans chapter 8, 
Okay? Stuck in the middle of Romans 8 where it says that we have, therefore, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And then there's this part about us having the spirit of adoption, right? And then there's this little segment. I'm going to skip for a moment. And then from this little segment, we go into, and therefore, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called towards his purpose. And therefore, we're more than conquerors. And so, yada, yada, yada. But we skip these couple of verses that are in the middle of Romans chapter 8 where it says that even nature itself groans waiting for redemption. Creation itself is waiting for this moment. And we're told um, in the book of Isaiah that the, the lamb is going to lie down not with the lion. We always think of the lion will lie down with the lamb, the lamb and the lion. But it doesn't say it's the wolf and the lamb. But that the lion will eat grain like an ox. Okay, that's what it literally says. And so, but you can see all the pictures. Every, all the pictures I could have put up here all have a lion and a lamb lying together. And that's kind of pretty because Jesus is the lamb of God and he's the lion of Judah. And I think that's probably why they, they try to do that. But it's not what Isaiah, it's not what's written in Isaiah. It says that the, the lamb and the wolf are going to lie down together. And the, the, um, the, 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 yeah, the lamb and the wolf and the lion's going to eat grain like an oxen. And the, and the ch- child's going to be able to play with the asp. You know, he's going to the serpent. That's right. He's going to be able to touch the serpent, and so there's going to be this this peace, if you would, this um, uh, tranquility, this one, this unity of nature itself that 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 nature is going to enjoy as well because of um, Christ's reign on the earth. Okay, so that's the atmosphere of Christ's reign, and then we talk about the 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 administration, the the administration. Oh, I skipped it. I thought I did. So, anyways, so let's talk about the, the, the administration of Christ's reign, okay? And we'll leave it there on, on that one, okay? As we talk about the administration of Christ's reign. What does it say about Christ's reign during these 1,000 years, back in Revelation chapter 20? Who's going to reign with him? Those who are beheaded during the... They're going to be there, Okay? The souls of those who have been beheaded, verse 4, for the witness for Jesus Christ. I believe as well as it's going to be we the saints. As well, not just the ones beheaded during the tribulation period, but we will be there as well. How do I get that? Okay, turn to Revelation chapter 2. In Paul's, uh, John's, writing to Thyatira, it's actually Jesus speaking through John, to the saints of Thyatira, beginning verse 25, it says, but, behold, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give what? Power over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. Well, we know the one who's going to rule with a rod of iron is who? It's Jesus Christ. But right... Right before it, he says, I'm going to give you the power over the nations, which means that there's authority, is the idea there, okay, as well. So saints are going to receive that. Let's turn to um, chapter 5. This is in the throne room of God, where we have the four and twenty elders who are on their thrones, and they're, they're falling before God, along with the, the um, four living beings. And beginning in verse, verse 10, or verse 9, it says, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you redeemed us to God by your blood. Now, if you redeemed us to God by your blood, who are they? They're saints, okay? Out of every tribe and nation, every tongue and every people and nation. So are they Jews? 
No. They're everybody, right? It's the church. And you have made us what? Kings and priests to our God. And we shall do what? Reign on the earth. Okay? And so we have this idea of reigning. So again, back in Revelation 20 then, I think that these ones that are sitting on the throne who are reigning with Christ are the saints. Are us. And those who are beheaded for the name of Christ during the tribulation, what would you call them? But you would also call them what? Saints. <laughs> Make sense? Uh, so so they're, they're part of who we are. And, um, and they are part of this, this first resurrection. Okay? And so they get to, to reign with Christ as well. And so, what an exciting thing. Oh, I'm, there was one other passage I want to go to. 1 Corinthians 6 as well. I think it's important, to again, to compare spiritual things with spiritual things and see that this is consistent um, throughout. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul, writing to the, the, the church of Corinth, beginning of verse 1, he says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? In other words, you, you, there's a discrepancy. And instead of going to the courts so that you can sue one another, rather you should take it to where? To the church, to the saints, right? Do you not know that the saints will what? Judge the world. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matter? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? And so the whole point is that, listen, we ought to be taking care of, you know, if there's, if there's something that's, a problem in the, in the church, it ought to be taken care of where? In the church. Okay? Now, that becomes a very hard thing at times because we are, so, are also supposed to submit to the laws of the land. Okay? But the reality is if there's a, dis, there's a disgruntlement, um, then we need to try to let the church handle that. Okay? And which means that if I'm the party who the church decides against, I should do what? I should submit. The problem is, when it comes to that, usually it's because somebody is lacking love, right? And, and people want, don't want to be serving others. They want to win. And so usually, even when there's a judgment made, what happens? Yeah, I want to appeal. That's exactly right. I don't, I don't want that judgment. I'm going to appeal. And so, or take off, run, flee, get mad, cause a, cause a split, whatever the case, okay? So anyways, but we, coming through these passages of Revelation in 1 Corinthians 6, we are going to be the ones who reign with Christ in his administration. Now, we are also told uh, throughout that he's going to be reigning with what? We've come through now looking at the millennial reign of Christ with the detention of Satan for that thousand years and the dominion of Christ for a thousand years, looking at the anticipation of his reign and the atmosphere of his reign and looking at the administration of Christ's reign, the fact that um, we as saints along with those who are martyrs for Christ during the, the 70th week of Daniel's vision, will reign with Christ. But as well, we're told in the Word, and as we saw earlier um, from the prophecies regarding Christ's coming in his millennial reign, is that he will reign as well with, with authority. If there are nations that are there that will not come, that will refuse to... Um, attend the feast of of tabernacles. He will refuse water from them. He will he will hold back the the rain from those. And we know that uh, we're told that um, Egypt potentially will be one of those that will um, not come. Now whether that'll actually be Egypt that comes or not, but there's a reason why Egypt is referred to in in that prophecy. And we know that Assyria 
will be there in the millennial reign, that we know Egypt will be there in the millennial reign, as well as other nations as well. And so we move then into the end of this 1,000 years, um, where we see then um, Satan being released from his bondage, from his, from his detention in the bottomless pit, in the abyss. And he is released, and he does exactly what he has always done. He, and that is, he's the deceiver. He's the destroyer. And, and, he, and, he, and he continues to do this even after he has spent a thousand years in the bottomless pit, a thousand years in the abyss. And so he, uh, as according to his nature, he, he has chosen to defy God, to, to rebel against God, and he, and he seeks to bring others along with him into this, this path of, of destruction, this path of, um, of opposition to the Lord. And so this reason we, we look at and we see this, um, the nations being deceived is the reason for it is the release of Satan, um, our adversary. And we're told that he is the deceiver. In Ephesians chapter 6, very clearly, we were told to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the, the wiles of the devil. The devil is seeking to, by trickery and deception, to, to, to lead us away from the Lord. That has been his path since the beginning. We know, again, from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, that um, Eve was deceived by Satan, and the, the line of attack was to attack the, the very word of God, saying, has God really said, uh, and then challenging his authority as well, stating that God just didn't want us to be like him, but that when we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that we would become like God which was a total lie. And yet Eve swallowed the lie and ate of the tree and gave it to her husband to eat as well. And so we're told that he is the deceiver. He is the one who is seeking to deceive us. He is also, we're, we're told in the book of Revelation, that he is called the destroyer. He is Abaddon. He is Apollyon. That is the, the Hebrew name, Abaddon, and Apollyon, the Greek name, both meaning destroyer. He needs, his des desire is to destroy. In fact, we're told by Peter that our adversary, the devil, was like a roaring lion. He is lurking about seeking whom he may devour, whom he may destroy. And so he continues on this path as he is released from the, the bottomless pit, and he, and he seeks to destroy the, the nations, um, and he gathers them up, um, pulls them together, those who um, are there and already um, having a, a leaning away from the Lord. But the result of this deception then is this defiance, the defiance of the nations, that the nations will rise up and uh, against him. And we read of Gog and Magog and, and how the, the, the nations will, will, will come together, will coagulate, if you would, in their um, rebellion against the Lord. But Jesus Christ will, will put them down um, at the end of the thousand years and, and will destroy them, as well as destroying them destruction of the nations um, we're told that that Satan this, the dragon will be thrown into the lake of fire and there he will uh, he will suffer for all of eternity and it's an amazing thing to consider that after a thousand years of Christ's reign a thousand years here on the earth reigning in person that the nations would fall to this deceit the nations would fall to this um, 
movement of the devil, and yet I think of my own self being a believer and, and, and that I love the Lord and I'm being I'm his child and how often it is that the, the deceptive nature of the devil comes and, and, and seeks to, to distract me and lead me astray and I have to be always on my guard, to be vigilant knowing that, that he is out to destroy just as he is to these nations here in, in this millennial reign of Christ. And so, as we consider then this 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 reign of the Lord and this time of the come, what a, a blessed time it is to know that God's word is true, and what He has declared will come to be, and that Christ will reign for a thousand years on the earth. And so, I ask you, as I ask myself, and that is, with this millennial reign of Christ. Uh, in the future, it will be physical, but yet Christ already reigns here in my heart, and if you are his believer in your heart, he reigns spiritually right now. And the question then is, is he the Lord of your life? Is he reigning on the throne in your life? Or do you seek your will and not his will? Jesus said when he was in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. Whose will, whose kingdom are you looking to see expanded? Are you walking in submission to the Lord? If he would withhold the rain from you, as he does in this millennial rain, would we be in drought? Is your relationship a drought now? In Hebrews chapter 12, very clearly, we're told that, that the Lord chastens those whom he loves and if we are his children and we're walking in disobedience that he will chasten us do we really believe that is he the lord of your life secondly finally satan has always been the deceiver and the destroyer with that in mind then are you soberly vigilant recognizing the deceptions and traps of our adversary are you wide awake alert looking being alert for the deceptions of the devil not that we want to focus on him and yet though we've got to realize it's a war we are in a war and as I am on the front lines and you are on the front lines in our foxholes, moving forward at times, we've got to be alert. We've got to be looking for the movement of the devil, the movement of our enemy, as we seek to expand the kingdom. So my prayer is for you as well, then, to allow Christ to reign in your life, to be involved, to be a part of the expansion of the kingdom, even now here on the earth, while we look forward to the time of his return, we look forward to the time of his reign on the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your grace. Thank you again for your mercy and your love. I thank you, Father, for your word. We know that it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, we look forward to the time of your return. We look forward to the, the time of your reigning on the earth physically. And yet, Lord, I recognize the fact that you reign in our hearts today. Um, I pray, Lord, for those who don't know you. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. I pray 
for your kingdom to be expanded. I pray for your name to be glorified. But Lord, I pray that we would desire to serve you faithfully. I pray that we would desire um, to, to be bold in proclaiming your truth. Lord, help us. Help us in our, in our failures. Help us in our weaknesses to, to glorify your name. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.